This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, I'm Margot Rose. I was Eileen in the Inner Light on Next Generation, and you're listening to Trek FM. Welcome, listeners, to another cup of Earl Grey. I'm your host, Amy Nelson, and joined with me today, as he always is, the wonderful Joe Keegan. Joe, how are you today? Joe is good today. Hi, Amy. I'm, yeah, I'm okay. It just feels a bit weird today. It's like a really beautiful day. It is 20 degrees Celsius outside and in Fahrenheit. What do you do? You multiply it by 9, then divide it by 5, then add 32. So 20 multiplied by 9 is 180. Then divide that by 5 is 36. Wow. And, and then add 32. Is 68 degrees. Wow, look at Fahrenheit. And my mental arithmetic. 68, that's beautiful. There's a nice breeze blowing off the, let's call it a sea for want of a better term. Uh, but yeah, it's good. It's lovely. It was down the beach earlier. It's lovely. How are you, Amy? Yeah, we are getting up there in the temperatures. It's getting quite warm. I have been going out running and I need to not go at 2 p.m. It's too hot. No. I have run in Vegas before. I did the strip run, which is nothing to do with being naked. Um, well, you run along the strip, but you have to do it at like 7 a.m. Yeah. And even then, it's like, what? It's like, it's like 18, 98 degrees. degrees. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. It's decidedly unpleasant. So. Yeah. But you lose lots of body weight. It's like, well, not actually matter that makes up your body it's just water that water, you lose yeah yeah i'm impressed that you've like, done that i have never woken up that early at stlv to go on the strip run it's because you make a plan for when you arrive and then you say i'm going to do this and people are waiting on you so you really have to drag yourself up out of bed and just go regardless of how you're feeling yeah well so. kudos to you thank you well, we have some Babel Conference feedback, and this is from Earl Grey 323 with our fabulous crossover with To The Journey, where we discuss the Borg episodes. So, Joe, why don't you start us off? Okay. Our friend Greg Malumbi says, Liam not liking Q, who threw me for a bit of a shock. I think he's the first person I've heard say he didn't like that episode. That's fine, but every time I see the episode, I still think the Borg are legitimately scary. I also have the same confusion on the maturation chamber. I guess if the Borg assimilate young, they put the kids in the chamber 
as we saw with the kids in Voyager. Uh, yeah, thanks for your comment, Greg. That's a good point. I think I always just assumed that the maturation chamber was for like infants of unassimilated species. They just get thrown in the chamber until they come out as full-sized drones. You know, never I never thought, thought of that, of assimilating you know, newborns and, and children like that, but it actually does make sense. And thank you, Greg, for your comment, because like they go and assimilate entire civilizations and those civilizations are going to have children. And so it, it does make hmm. sense to have it there. So. Absolutely. Yeah. But what happens if the Borg assimilated like a pregnant woman? Do you know what I mean? What would they do? Would like the nanites assimilate the unborn baby as well? Well, and maybe they take, depending Ex on the time period, you know, nine months in or mm. whatever, that they do a C-section or something and take the baby and put it in a maturation chamber or otherwise not assimilate them and just kill them. I don't think they do a C-section, though. I think the Borg nanites basically create a like a a doorway like a wee hatch thing like a borg hatch uh -huh. that when the nine months happens like the sections all kind of move apart from each other and the baby comes out oh like goodness. on a wee tray possibly possibly mm -hmm. but i definitely think if we see the borg like the proper borg in the future you know the way tv's gone like the 21st century, it's all really dark. Game of Thrones, we've got The Walking Dead, and it's, it's Star Trek Picard, and it's really gruesome and dark. Mm -hmm. I think if we see the Borg, we'll see them being like really malevolently evil, and they'll be, they won't rip one eye out, they'll rip both eyes out and replace them, and they'll be screaming in blood and pain and death. Yeah, we saw a little bit of that of Picard, yeah. We did, yeah. yeah. It was horrible. Hmm. Well, we have Johnson Lai who writes, great discussion. How I've always reconciled regeneration with the timeline is after the episode, Starfleet must have set up a small research group, but because the threat was so far away, if they were coming at all, it eventually fell to the wayside, even becoming a myth. But then the Hansons found the research, which was why they knew so much before setting off to the Delta Quadrant. Didn't Aaron Hansen say even their colleagues thought they were crazy? This could explain why Picard never heard of these cybernetic creatures because nobody had thought about them in over a hundred years. So thank you for your comment. And, you know, with the very few small mentions before Q who, um, like we were talking enterprise regeneration, that it definitely could have become a myth. So I'm sort of liking that idea, Johnson. Thanks for your comment. Yeah, it kind of stands to reason because... Like maybe some like two hundred years have passed. Like Enterprise was set before the founding of the Federation, mm -hmm. right at its infancy. So, yeah, it would stand to reason that things would be lost in the annals of time. Yeah. So, Abby, what are we talking about today? Well, today's topic comes from a listener, Kimberly Lawler. So we dedicate this episode to you, Kimberly. Um, and listeners, if you want us to discuss something you've been thinking about, absolutely reach out to us. We're happy to take your ideas. Now, Kimberly's great idea is to do a character profile on Jack Crusher. So I'm very excited. I don't think that we have spoken at length about Jack Crusher. 
I certainly haven't really thought so much as I have about Jack Crusher as I have done in the past like two hours. <laughs> right. <laughs> so. so there are three episodes where he makes an appearance um, that is in Family Violations and Journey's End and usually through holograms, but he is mentioned in quite a few episodes, Encounter at Farpoint, Coming of Age, Conspiracy, The Icarus Factor, Evolution, The Bonding, The Price, Remember Me, True Q, and Attached. So those are the episodes that we are pulling from for this discussion. Now, Joe, I just got to ask, that's a lot of episodes. Did you watch them all or just what did you do to prepare for this? Yeah, I've watched all the episodes in the last two hours. Yes, I'm very well prepared. I had them all on at the same time, <laughs> like simultaneous viewing kind of thing. Mm. Like data listening to all the music. Right, yes. Yeah, uh-huh, that's clearly what I did. Um, see, when you say appearances, um, family violations and journeys end, I think only one of them were holographic. The other two, like violations, it was just a, a vision. Yeah, that Beverly through, had. Uh, yeah, through that mind assault that she went through um, of going to visit his dead body in the morgue with Picard. And then Journey's End, uh, Journey's End was Wesley having some kind of... Vision quest. Or acid trip oh, with whatever okay. he drank from those um, Native American folk. So, yeah, I guess there is just only that one hologram and the other two are in the mind's eye, I guess mm. you could say. Yeah, I suppose. And then we do get a little bit of more information from the other episodes that you mentioned. Yeah, and again, it's not really worth watching all of them because they're just small mentions of it, you know? Uh-huh. So... It's like maybe a sentence Beverly says, right, and yeah. that's it. It's that, yeah. you know, relating a story of Jack or um, was it in Family where she's telling Troy she gets his possessions from Starfleet and he find, she finds the book, the how to get... How to marry well through... What's the name how of the book? to it's advance your career through marriage. Yes. And that was how he, a gag, asked her to marry him. Yes, in 2348. Yes. So there was one that I found very interesting, which we had covered previously on Earl Grey 293, because there was a deleted scene from family, and we get a little bit of history of Jack, Jack Crusher's um, family, where his ancestor... His ancestors were great men and considered heroes um, by Jack. One was fought in the American Civil War on the Confederate side at the Battle of Bull Run. And another uh, ancestor died in the surprise attack on Station Salem 1. And unfortunately, that was a deleted scene, but we have covered it in Earl Grey mm -hmm. 293. So we do get a little bit more of his history. But again, I don't know... If it really adds too much to Jack Crusher or not. It reminded me the Confederate side. Is that the good guys or the bad guys? That's the bad the American guys. American Civil War. That's the South. Oh, oh, oh right. Okay. I, I see now. Um, oh, yeah. Confederate flags yeah. that people still fly. And we're like, mm, yes. Hmm. No. 
please don't fly that. Yes. Uh, okay, so interesting that he was, would have been considered a hero, even though he fought on the Confederate side. Yeah. But I think he could be like a hero in the way that he acted as an officer, um, his courage mm. and, you know, in fighting a war that he believed in, I would assume. Okay, I get you. Now that's... So... Is, is the Battle of Bull Run a real... Yes, it is. A real battle? Yes, it is. Three days of history lesson. Yeah. When you're not American. Um, in Station Salem, one was me- mentioned by Picard and the Price. There was a, a sneak attack. Okay, so, yeah, let's let's jump to that. So how did he die? Because I just know... Oh, did you read about his death? Well, I just read that he was killed on an away mission while he was serving serving on the Stargazer with Picard. Yes. So it's covered in a book. Um, and if Justin was here, he'd be able to tell us um, what the book was about. The book was called, correct me if I'm wrong, the TNG novel Reunion. Oh, yeah, um, I've read that book. Okay, so apparently, if I'm reading this right, the Stargazer encountered an unknown anomaly that was later termed the Nancy Phenomenon. Okay. The ship's a bit crippled and there's a dangerous energy buildup in one of its nacelles. And Captain Picard sends uh, Crusher, Jack Crusher, and Lieutenant Peter Joseph, who volunteered to go out outside the ship in spacesuits with phaser rifles and detach one of the nacelles oh. with phaser rifles. But Lieutenant Joseph get, has a panic attack. Don't know why anybody called Joseph would have a panic attack. They are brave people. Uh, has a panic attack and feigns um, like passing out. Um, and ultimately, that's what kills Crusher. He goes to detach the cell himself and, and later dies. But I, I'm really stuck on the point. I've not read the book. I'm stuck on the point that they detached one of the, the cells with a phaser rifle. Yeah, that seems really dangerous. Or just really unbelievable. Like, it was either the most powerful phaser rifle in existence, or it was just a really rubbish nacelle strut. Now, the bit, the connector bits that connected the, the cells to the body of the ship. Yeah, that's like trying to saw down a tree with a butter knife. <laughs> I, I, I can imagine trying that. <laughs> yeah, it's just not going to happen. It's going to take you a real long time. Yeah. So I don't really know. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe they put extra batteries in the phaser rifle. Um, But that's how he died. Well, maybe they boost, you know, they're always boosting things. (laughs) Or maybe it's like a cage. Now they beam down the big giant phaser turret to try and blow a hole in the mountain so they can get to the pollutions. Uh, and the Enterprise is beaming power down to the phaser turret. Yeah, they do use the phasers a lot on like rock beds and faces mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So, yeah, so maybe it's something like that. But I'm assuming our listeners will correct us or tell us exactly what happened to make it sound more believable if they have read TNG's reunion. So, if if uh that Officer Joseph and Jack Crusher were outside. They obviously were able to uh, gather their dead bodies because Picard yes. brings Jack Crusher back to Beverly. 
That's a bit on memory beta. Um, Lieutenant Joseph panicked and left Crusher alone, feigned unconsciousness when he saw Picard on his way to retrieve his men. So the captain actually goes outside to retrieve them, weirdly. Well, wouldn't um, they, like, was, beam them or tractor beam them? The book might have been a bit shorter. Okay. If it just... I mean, you could have just beamed a phaser outside the ship and remote-controlled it. Do you know what I mean? Put it on some kind of... A drone? Con- something like that. A DOT-7, maybe. Um, so Picard ended up saving Lieutenant Joseph first and then going back to get Crusher, but by that time it was too late to save Crusher. He'd already succumbed to his injuries. Um, some kind of skull injury, because when you see his body in the morgue, he's got a bunch of scars down one side of his face. And it looks like his... It kind of looks like his head's been severed or his neck's been cut in some way because there's a big kind of lateral scar right around his head in that scene. Uh, And then, obviously, Picard takes the body back to, we imagine, Earth, where Beverly and the young Wesley Crusher, who is five at this point, um, waiting. And then I don't imagine he presents the body to them. He just takes the body back to Earth and says, sorry, your husband and father have died. And um, we we see what Crusher remembers in violations, right? Because she has that memory of it. Yes. And that's, it's interesting that they would have that be the, the memory that she remembers in that episode. You know, they could have had her reliving the birth of her firstborn child, Wesley. Is there not something about that episode that the way that they do it, they want the, it has to be like a negative emotion or something, a negative memory? Well, not necessarily because Keiko's memory is of her grandmother with the water paintings on the scrolls. And that's a, a nice memory that Keiko has. Yeah, but the guy that's doing it, the bad guy, yeah. is he not wanting the the dark stuff? Yeah. Yeah. May, oh, I, th- I think you're right that that was the father that did it. And then when the son does it, he gets to the dark side. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, yeah. So I think that's maybe why that Beverly automatically went to the one of our most painful memories because he... He fed on that, I suppose, didn't he? So we talked about um, that he obviously has a sense of humor because he asked Beverly to marry him by uh-huh. this gag book, How to Advance Your Career Through Marriage, which I think is totally cute. And it seems like that they were a pretty happy family from all that we gather, right? Because well, as happy as you as happy as you can be been in a, a long distance relationship because he's serving aboard the Stargazer with Picard and Beverly's back home looking after Wesley being a doctor, we imagine. I'm assuming there's details elsewhere that we've got more information about what their relationship was like, but I think it's hard to have a family yeah, separated. there has to have been something because I read Q squared 
um, mm-hmm. and was on literary treks discussing it. And that book uh, talks about sort of their early marriage before there's okay. Wesley and that they both were serving on the Stargazer with Picard. And so there oh, must okay. be some time, like because she gets pregnant, that she chooses to go back to Earth or to leave the Stargazer because it's not a good idea to raise a kid. Well, I don't think you could at that point, maybe because the Galaxy-class starships were the the first ones with families on board. Mm. And having a child, being a Starfleet officer, wasn't going to happen, especially on a small ship like the Stargazer, possibly. So, yeah, you're... So, that was Q-squared. I read a synopsis of Q-squared. It's a good book. A bit brutal. Yes. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read it, about Q-squared... Uh, in an alternate universe, mm-hmm. the character of Trelane from the original series basically tells Jack Crusher, who's still alive, and he's captain of the Enterprise at this point. It's been a while since I've read it. So. <laughs> alternate universe, Jack Crusher's captain of the Enterprise. Trelane comes, who I imagine is part of the Q continuum, and tells them that he is the only Jack Crusher in all the universes. That kind of turns him a bit crazy and he kills himself and Beverly in front of the prime Picard that we know. Yes. And I'm like, that's dark. Yeah, it's it's a very it's it's a very good book. I would highly recommend it. Mm. Yeah. It's very interesting how it's written also because you have like like you said, this alternate timeline and then our prime timeline and it bounces back and forth and it's it's pretty cool. Well, enough to confuse me. It, it's Yeah, it is confusing because I remember being so confused going, what is going on? And then the next chapter, it's completely different and then you get the hang of it. But, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I could read it if only I could read. So I might listen to the audio book instead. Well, you're making so. me want to reread Reunion because I have that book. I mean, it's locked up at school. I haven't been able to get back to my classroom, but I do own the book. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, I wish I read more and I've not really had the opportunity. I normally do audiobooks in my commute to work. So I can do like an audiobook a week. But with no commute, I know. there's been no books. The commute, um, my podcast listening has decreased seriously. It's like dwindled to nothing. Yeah. So yeah, I reading a book is quite a big time commitment. Do you know, do you know what I mean? It's like you have to actually be in the mood to sit down and read a book. And I think and I like to be quite active. And reading a book is quite a sedentary activity. I know TV watching is like that, but... That you can watch an episode of Star Trek, which is, four, which is 45 minutes, but reading a book is like a significant commitment. So sidebar, when oh. I was uh, moving out and buying my first house and starting my career as a teacher, and that's when I was really getting into the next gen, they had the DVDs out and I was going to the library reading all these books. And so for my new house, I specifically went and purchased a reading chair like and I went Joe no joke to at least five six different stores sat in every chair and it's like okay 
can I sit and read a book in this chair? Is it comfortable? Are there lots of different positions? You know, cause you do, you, you get a little, oh, you yeah. need the positions as you're reading these books. And I was, it took me at least two months to find the perfect reading chair. And I came with an ottoman and I had that chair for years and I had read many TNG novels in that chair. And now that I'm here in Las Vegas and have moved so many times, I mean, that was 20 years ago, literally. I don't have a nice, comfortable reading chair. And that's my problem. Where's your comfy reading chair? I don't even know reading chairs were a thing. <laughs> is that like a, a, is that an aisle in Ikea? The reading chair aisle? <laughs> No, I just was, it, I had, it was an overstuffed, but not a recliner chair. I don't like recliner chairs. I was an overstuffed chair with an ottoman, uh, very wide. And I, I don't know, it was just the perfect chair. And I had that for many, many years. And I've noticed that I'm like, okay, I need to read this book. And I don't like reading on a couch for some reason. It's not comfortable. I'm fine to watch TV on a couch, but I'd like, I need to get a reading chair. My problem is like holding a book up. I mean, well, that's why you get a pillow and put it on your lap. But then you're like, have to hunch over. No, your pillow puts it eye level. (sighs) Confused. Um, to think about this more. Did you see, talking about books, did you see that image? Um, it was a meme that came out a couple of weeks ago um, and it was about the problem of having multiple tabs open on your browser. No, I didn't. And it being a, an age-old problem. Um, and there was a the image was of an old piece of apparatus at a university that you researchers used when they were researching multiple books. So it allowed them to have multiple books open at the same page, but rotate the whole thing around. And the books, basically they would have one book open on like a, a plank of wood, and then they'd have to go to another book. So they'd just rotate the whole thing around like a Rolodex, but a big giant massive one. And the books, as it rotated around, the, the, platforms that the books lay upon would always stay horizontal oh, so the book okay. never fell off which was kind of genius so it was like this age-old problem of having multiple tabs open or having to research multiple books i kind of like that not something you could really have in your house because this was a big, big apparatus of, yeah i've tried to i'll try and find a picture and i'll i'll send you it so you know what i'm talking about so i also like knowing in the price uh, Beverly says that I Jack- thought you were talking about the price of books. Oh. <laughs> Anything over ten dollars is too much. <laughs> the price, the episode, the, the episode, the price, and okay. uh, Beverly says that Jack was pursuing her, and it took her uh, two months mm-hmm. to figure out. Hey, this guy might be. A possibility. So I I like that he, you know, stayed with her and was like courting her and so that's it's kind of nice. kind of really old fashioned, doesn't yeah. it? Almost this idea of courting and being pursued, but not in a a creepy way, just 
he was making an effort yeah. to get her attention. Well, and I he think saw something in her. if I put my shoes in Beverly's shoes, like she was developing no, her put, career. Put your feet, put in, my Beverly's feet shoes. in Beverly's shoes. Don't put your shoes in Beverly's shoes because <laughs> unless you've got really small shoes. <laughs> but, you know, she's, you know, working on her career. She's been through Starfleet Academy and through medical. And so I definitely can understand her not recognizing his advancements and his attention you know, mm. for a little bit longer, because she obviously, as we see in the series, she's very focused and she, you know, has a passion for her career. And sometimes when you are passion driven, you sort of miss what else is going on. So kudos for Jack for hanging in there and say, hey, Beverly, yeah, notice it's me. The, it's the 24th century. It's not the 1950s. Kind of the job of, of a woman isn't to kind of marry early, have children, stay at home. She was a, a career-minded woman, and that, that is allowed in 2020, so never mind in the 24th century. Um, but yeah, I suppose if you are, you can have that kind of blinkered monocular vision. This is this is what you want this to patty you on and to hell with everything else. I'm, this is what I'm going to get for myself. So yeah, I get that. Now, did you have... Uh, that year that when um, Wesley was born? He was born 2348, I believe. Okay, so Jack and, and Beverly met in 2340, which was revealed to us in Conspiracy by a mutual friend, Walter Kill. So I was looking, so at 2340, they were introduced Obviously, a couple months for Beverly to figure out. There obviously was some courting time period. And so 2348, Wesley was born. So that's a good amount of time to have time together, which makes sense for what I read in Q Squared. They were together on the Stargazer with Picard. And then yes. Wesley comes and, along. And then in 2353, Jack dies when Wesley is five years old. Uh, and you remember the name Walter Keel, don't you? Because Walter Keel is one of the captains that Picard is instructed to meet on Ditalics B. Yes, secretively. Um, I, yes. Yes. And then Walter Keel is captain of the USS Horatio, which is later destroyed. Yes. And the whole right. episode conspiracy with the little worm things that go in you, the back of your neck yeah. and control you. Yeah. So, um, so he, she had, like I said, 13 years with Jack Crusher all together from meeting him till his death. And it's, it's pretty awesome because in, with my mother, she met her true love. This would have been her third husband. And they had a total of 10 years together. And although it's very short, like seeing my mother so happy for those 10 years was completely worth it. I wish she could have had more, uh, but mm. it just didn't work out that way. But even that short amount of time, I think, has really changed her, obviously, and changed our family dynamic in those 10 years that we had with him. His name was Bob. Um, absolutely gold. So, 
That's a lovely story. Um, I kind of had the problem earlier when I was reading about this um, that so much time has passed between Jack dying and Beverly being on the Enterprise with Picard. Why hasn't she moved on? Jack seems to still be a big, like a big um, figure a lot in her life. I suppose they had a son together, so that may, maybe makes a difference. But looking at the time difference, they met in 2340, he died in 2353. That's kind of the same length of time as you and I have been together. It's for like 14 years for you and I. So and I'm like, yeah, if you and died, I'm like, don't I get all soppy and sentimental, but where do I see myself in like 20 years' time? Just, well, I have moved on. I don't know. It's an interesting. Not one that's worth really thinking about because given the times we live in, I don't want to go down that spiral of despair again. Um, so, yeah, it does. It's not a long relationship. I don't think 13 years. They didn't have that much time together. Yeah. You know, interesting you bring that up because I have an aunt um, who obviously was married. They had five children together. I mean, obviously more than 13 years together, but he passed away 35 years ago. And my aunt never remarried, never was in another relationship. Like she was, she is, she still is alive. She is still devoted and has told her kids, I, he is my husband and I wow. will stay with him until I die. That's so I don't know if moving on is the right thing. I think it really depends on that relationship that you have and how comfortable you are being alone, not lonely, but being alone and going through life yeah, independent. Not being in a relationship, yeah. That's an interesting quandary, isn't it? Well, I don't know how I feel about that. Do I? The problem is, if we go back to last week's discussion on whether or not there's an afterlife, yeah? If you have, say, you go through your life and you have, say, just two husbands or wives that you loved deeply and entirely until they passed, then the potential is that you go to the afterlife and see them as like, oh, oh dear, all my exes in one place. Never mind having four husbands and them all having three wives and stuff. So. Well, it sort of reminds you of Dr. Phlox from Enterprise, right? It does, yes, with this, um, I don't know, what uh, what's the term given to that? They Would all that have, be open? I don't know. Is it? They all, but is it an open relationship? Because each... Because they're you know, sort of committed, like multi- but committed to a large number of people. This extended... Yeah. Yeah, it's like polygamy gone. Like it's the polygamy chain reaction, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Where polygamy on steroids. Yeah, I think we got the name of this episode. Um, yeah, I don't know about that. So I suppose we've, like, both of us have had multiple relationships with people throughout the years. And we were think, thinking, focusing only on the good ones at the time. And the people you think back fondly on, let's say, um, 
and we've all moved on from them. So moving on is possible. But with the one, if we think there's a one person, they are the one. I don't necessarily believe that there's a one. Yeah, I don't believe that there is one person. But to your point, like that first relationship and if they pass and then we have another relationship and then, like you said, we die, there's this afterlife. Who are you going to be with? Like, wouldn't the first one be an automatic no because you have already gone through the emotions of living life without them? So you've made that transition of being not with them? But who are they going to be with in the afterlife? Well, maybe they met someone in the afterlife. <laughs> it's the like afterlife. <laughs> a speed dating in heaven kind of thing. Okay, um, possibly. Okay, I, I don't know. Wow. We yeah, have gone off on a tangent, listeners. We have, we have indeed, yes. <laughs> wow. Um, let's get back on track then. Okay. Well, let's talk about how do you think Wes, uh, Wesley... So how do you think Jack was as a father to Wesley? What were your impressions there? Okay, so timeline-wise, it's a bit confusing because there's only five years of Wesley's life that Jack was alive. But apparently in one of the books, we see that Jack has taught Wesley to play baseball at some point. I'm not sure when that would have been. If, do you know what I mean? When when did it tie up? Because five, learn to play baseball when you're five, I don't imagine that's going to go very well. Um, and if it was, you can imagine, maybe he could have taken shore leave back yeah. to Earth and he was on a vacation kind For of thing. For sure. Okay, that's probably the way it was. Yeah. He just back to Earth and while he was there, he taught him when he was four or five before he died. Okay, that that works okay. in my head, can Listeners, let me know, fill in the blanks. Well, we also learn in Attached that he took his family on camping trips. So mm-hmm. there definitely had to have been some shore leave and some time off and mm, enough to go camping. Camping in the 24th century would be really cool, I think. At Balfour Lake. Sounds it's nice. always lovely to Balfour's, go camping in the mountains by a lake. Balfour is um, a famous Scottish name, I'm sure. Arthur Balfour was a, an ex-Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. That's how I knew the name. And a, I'm sure there's a construction company called Balfour. Interesting. Uh, we also know that Jack didn't, um, didn't have the same relationship with his father that he wanted to have with Jack, or because his relationship with his father wasn't so good, he made a conscious effort to be a kind of a better role model for for Wesley and did all these things that teach him how to play baseball and take him on camping trips. Um, so there's that that we learn. Well, we also know he would have been a great father, as you're saying, because if he was doing the opposite of what he his father did, um, he was wanting to record messages for Wesley mm-hmm. every year. And we, we see that in family where he turns 18 and Beverly gives him that first message. And oh, that just warms my heart. I like having that idea that 
you know, the father is going to pass along his wisdom and just take some time to reflect on the first year and the years thereafter. Like, well, your second year, da, 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 I've noticed this. And I have a baby book that I, that my mom wrote in and she will describe things that, you know, little anecdotal stories that, you know, happened my first year, my second year. And those are just so precious to me. So I like that Jack was wanting to do this and it really shows his commitment to be a father. Mm, I like that idea. I like the way Wesley plays it in the episode Family, where he goes into the holodeck and he's really reticent to start the program because like being five when your father dies, you're going to have very limited memories of your interactions, if any. So I can, I can see him being like, do I actually want to play this? Yeah, he's going through all sorts of emotions before he actually does it. Well, I think it's a good decision he actually does it because it's a really lovely, poignant moment and a, a really good message that, is, that Jack has for him. Um, I l- love all these stories that your parents tell you about when you were born and when you were kind of really young, too young to remember. And it's almost as if that you're your brain through these stories makes up the memory. Yeah, it bridges. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it feels like a memory, even though it's just a story that was related to you. So I'm gonna gonna my mum loves telling this story to people and it's like deeply embarrassing, but I'm gonna tell it anyway. So apparently when I was about two, I think, I was potty training. Do you have potty training? Yep. It's like a a plastic toilet that babies use. Okay, um, so I don't know what sequence of events was. My dad smoked at the time, so my dad's ashtray was involved. And it hadn't been emptied, so it was full of cigarettes and ash. So I, let's tell it in order from least disgusting to most disgusting. Um, I, as a newly clean, kind of new baby grow, I was like spotless, I decided to crawl over to my dad's ashtray get the contents and eat them and wipe them everywhere. Cigarette ends and ash all over my lovely clean baby girl. So my mom came in, saw me and was like, okay, just sheer disgust, grabbed me, put me directly into the bath, stripped me, got me clean, fresh clothes, sparkling clean, yeah, put me on my potty, yeah, to do what one does on the potty. And then she went away again to do whatever mums do when they're two. And I came back and I got off the potty and I'd done my stuff in the potty and proceeded to grab it and wipe it all everywhere and eat it and everything all over. Mom came in and the previous previous look of disgust was nothing compared Compared to to that. uh, So yeah, again, I get grabbed, put in the bath and like bleached. Oh my gosh, that's adorable. Super disgusting. You heard it here first, listeners. I ate my own poop when I was two. But that's how kids process and learn is to experience it. So I must have had you've some experienced kind of brain abnormality, like Shalaf syndrome and... or something. Yeah. Wow. To be honest, I've never eaten a cigarette or eaten my own poop since. Since so then, see, you learned. I learned a valuable lesson. Valuable. <laughs> Uh, see you next time I'm at like Destination Star Trek or STLV 
and people recognize my voice. Yes. Instead, are you? Are you joking from Earl Grey? <laughs> like, no, you're joking, eight year old poop. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. Uh, so, all those little stories that your parents tell you um, are so invaluable. Yeah. And like we were saying last week about legacy. So but all those little stories are important to hand down to generations and a lot of them will just get lost. Yeah. So it's, we have to, we've got the internet, so there's, we have to record them and put them down and for generations later on to yeah. listen, wonder, why did that guy eat his poop? What, yeah, what did why? he do back in like <laughs> 1979, whenever it was? <laughs> it's, mm. it's weird humans. But I like um, that Wesley gets to see Jack because I'm like you're saying, like, I'm sure Beverly told little stories, but I don't know that he would have had that strong of a visual image of his own father. I mean, I guess maybe through pictures or holograms. Yeah, like you can go to the holiday and say recreate an image of a father. Yeah. Or think. like Data had of Tasha, you know, that little. Yeah, a little. Yeah. Hickey. Um yeah, possibly. So I don't know. We'd like to imagine, given the technology, that he would have had a visual record of. Yeah, yeah, that that's was true. Embedded in his mind. Because I wanted to see, because like in um, Journey's End, it's more of Wesley's mind recreating his father, and. It's not exactly what Jack Crusher would say because this is what Wesley is thinking his father would say. Mm -hmm. So we don't really know if Jack Crusher would be follow your own path. I mean, it makes sense that he would, as any good father would encourage their child to follow your dreams and your passion. But again, this is Wesley's mind twisting it to hear what he wants to hear so that he gives himself permission to follow the uh, traveler. That's the most likely thing. Although with the involvement of the traveler, there's nothing to suggest that it wasn't some timey-wimey stuff going on. And that's what Jack Crusher would actually have said. But there's no, there's no evidence to say that. So yeah, we'll go with the, we'll go with the simplest explanation. It was just, Wesley hoping that's what his father would say, given the the snippets of information he had about him. Yeah, because I think Wesley was looking for permission to leave Starfleet in his mind, because he's always been the rule follower, always trying to live up to everyone else's expectations. Yeah, unfairly so, so because he was a teenager on yeah. a ship of adults, and what we see is few friends apart from that one deleted scene yeah we've got all the kids in the neon i suppose i suppose i get what you're saying he's his brain is making up a message from his dad to say this is okay you follow your own path you follow your heart and never mind that both your parents from starfleet and you come from a line of starfleet officers if it's not right for you that's fine the universe is your own stuff so I want to ask you, because I see a lot of Wesley's traits in my students, like some students are so 
willing and wanting to please me as a teacher and to do the right things and to get that smile or, you know, the little tap on the shoulder of good job, you know, they just, they crave that. And Mm -hmm. so I see Wesley so much, or I see my students so much in Wesley and I like really, I really do like journeys end because it's at that point when Wesley, Wesley takes it on himself and makes choices for himself, not based on others' expectations. And I think it's a really good stage in a youth's development to get to that point because you hope that in those younger years, in the teenage years, that they're learning the values and morals of people who are around you that, you know, have good standards and that teach you to be a continual learner and to you know, self-evaluate and look at yourself and and what you're going to contribute, you know, so we have those teachers, parents, mentors, and then making that leap to, okay, I have this strong background. I have this foundation of love and trust from others. Now I'm going to go out on my own. And I just think it's a very beautiful story that I see so many of my students go through. That's a really good point. And a lot of times, especially now we're in lockdown and we're teaching remotely, a lot of the students that you maybe not have, didn't have so much kind of communication with because they were just really quiet and just sat and got on with their work. Now is the time where they're coming out and they don't have to put their hand up to ask for help. They can just send you an email. Okay. And it's all those little interactions which are really nice to have. And it's not been kind of the vast majority of students. It's maybe just one or two or a handful that are coming out and who wouldn't have said Buta Goose before, but they're they're at home and they're trying their best. And while they might not be very able scientists, they are trying to follow my instructions and submit something that I can have a look at. They're trying to please me, essentially which is really nice. I still hate teaching from home because it's not teaching. No. You don't have half the interaction you have. The worst. Yeah. It is. Um, but yeah, I, interestingly, I think I mentioned to you earlier, Amy, I had spent the last couple of days um, collating pupil work from across our school and editing it together as a video. I did want to use the track We're All In This Together from High School Musical. Obviously, it's copyrighted and you can't just throw it in your own video because YouTube will just flag it and the YouTube police will come and get you. Uh, so I had this weird brainstorm like I do and decided to get all my school show kids to record them singing the track and send me the file. And then I edit it together as a, a virtual a virtual choir. Oh, Awesome. Which isn't perfect, but do you know what? We sound like we're singing together, so it's quite nice. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, it's nice. Never really edited videos together or edited audio in that way, apart from podcasts. But when you're dealing with like 10 different people singing at the same time and they all have to sing each word at the same time, it became a bit tricky. But it was a good experience and I liked doing that for the school community, so it was worth it. I was one of the upsides to walk down, I suppose. Yeah. So, obviously, Jack Crusher mm-hmm. and Jean-Luc Picard were friends. Do we know much about their friendship? 
we don't know. I always imagined that there were friends. I think I maybe read it somewhere that there were friends at the academy. Yes. Which kind of confuses me because then why wasn't Jack Crusher um, in Tapestry? Yeah, I was. That was exactly where my brain went. So maybe, maybe they after, met just after, yeah, when they were first posted together, um, they were best friends while. Um, Picard was on the Stargazer and Jack served as the science officer and then later as the second officer same position as Data I suppose second officer and science officer I got that impression from what I read Um, and then ultimately died I don't really know, I'm assuming listeners will let us know when they met because it'll be in a book somewhere um but we don't really know. The only thing I know is that Picard had feelings for Beverly while Jack and Beverly were together. And I'm like, oh, that's dicey territory. Yes, it is. And it is explored in Q Who or Q Squared. I suppose he, the good thing about Picard is that he didn't act on it. Yeah. Even after Jack died because he felt that it would betray his friendship with him. Yeah, that's a very complex relationship that he has with Beverly and Jack, mm-hmm. sort of that triangle. Um, and yeah, he didn't act on it. And even after his death, when it could have been okay, especially after the amount of time after Jack's death, you know, that he could have gone in, made his moves, but he didn't. It's more than, when did TNG start? 2365? Let's go for 65, Ha. Huh? in the middle so that's a whole 12 years after Jack died so enough time has passed enough separation between them has passed so and then there was always something between them there's a deep bond of friendship but we only really learn I think in Attached Mm -hmm. when their minds are linked together and have this telepathic link that um, how fond Picard has been of Beverly for all this time but it's not creepy or uncomfortable. No, it's, it's not. It's okay. Yeah, it's it is. Dealt with sensitively. It seems that when we talk about Picard's friendship with Jack, it's always in the realm of Wesley. Like it seems like in uh, the bonding, you know, Wesley is sort of reliving and... Um, what is it? Evolution? I can't remember, but it's like Picard really struggles with the choice that he made that caused Jack's death. And so I think we see that more whenever Picard is dealing with Wesley or whenever Wesley is having to, you know, sort of deal with his father's death. Like when he was sharing his experience in the bonding with that kid. Yes, I suppose there's that back thought of like, oh, Captain Picard killed my dad and now I'm serving aboard his ship. Do you think they, they're so explicit in it? But there's that, there's a, a feeling there. And I think they maybe mention it um, when Wesley's talking to, is it Jeremy Astor? No. Oh, is that the difference? I know. One? I get those two boys mixed up. The the bonding is the one. Yeah, is it? 
Yeah, because that's the one where Worf in its season two with Pulaski and uh, he, Worf t- feels completely guilty for Marla Astor's death. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And uh, they're like, well, maybe Wesley can talk to mm-hmm. him. Yeah. So what's the one that Data gets befriended with the wee boy and the wee boy slicks his hair back and yeah. then Data builds the, the old thing? I know, the, I love that one. That's like... Oh, what's that? The same episode, I'm sure. No, it's know. like we're... Ima- not imaginary friend. Uh, oh my gosh. Hero worship. Yes, that's it. Yes. What's that boy's name? Timothy. I know. I get those two so mixed up all the time. Oh, it's just he's just called Timothy. He doesn't actually have a name. It's just Timothy. I always like to look up really young TNG actors and see what they look like now. Oh, yeah. Because obviously they were, if they were, they're maybe a wee bit younger than me, so they'll all be like in their 40s or 50s now. Friends... That we really don't know that they're much about the friendship, apart from we, apart from Picard. I suppose you can infer something about the the depth of the friendship because Picard felt compelled to bring his body home rather than just transport it to another ship that was on route to Earth mm-hmm. because of their obviously they had this friendship with Beverly as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah, that's quite honorable of Picard to do that. So, final thoughts. This has been interesting in part because we don't have a lot to go on with -hmm. with Jack. And although there are a list of episodes where he is mentioned, it's like mentioned in passing that there's one, you know, sentence or two and then it's not even a plot, right? It's not even a B plot. It's just a mention, um, except in family. And I would say journey's end maybe. Um, but in violations, it's not even part of the plot. You know, it's just an experience that Beverly has. So yeah. And it's not even Jack. He's dead at that point. So it's just a, yeah. like a body on a slab, isn't it? Yeah. So. And so to try and come up with who is Jack Crusher, Um, I think we've done a fairly good job. I think we've learned a lot about his relationship with Beverly. I'm very impressed with his desire to be a good father and um, to Wesley. And he obviously was a good friend to Picard. Um, So realizing those relationships helps us to understand who he was as a character and how important he was, obviously, in Beverly's life that she never took on another mate, I guess you could say. Apart from, so. that, apart from that ghost in the lamp. Um, yeah, uh, to be honest, I was kind of not, let's just say I wasn't looking forward to this episode at all. It was like Jack Crusher, and then I spent a while researching. I was like, I still have nothing to say. There's nothing about him. But... With everything that's a discussion, some like Amy, you'll say something and then that'll make me think something else. And then a conversation will start and there'll be a dialogue and we'll we'll tease out what we think the character of Jack Crusher could have been like. But before we started recording, I was like, ugh, 
That's why I go outside and sit in the sun. This sounds interminably dull. But I hope that we've kind of done it justice. I'm sure our listeners, being the amazing listeners that they are, will help us fill in all the little details that we potentially have missed. So thank you, Amy. Absolutely, yes. And thank you, Kimberly, for uh, a great topic idea and uh, pushing us to explore a not-so-well-known character. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Kimberly, for pushing us to discuss things that we didn't want to discuss. So, that's <laughs> that. <laughs> well, it's been interesting talking about Jack Crusher today, but that isn't the only thing we've been discussing here on the network. Here is what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, the orb. But of all the Section 31 that we're getting in New Trek, this feels the most legitimate. This feels like the Section 31 yeah. that we we know from yeah. Deep Space Nine, and it doesn't feel like, oh, we're just going back to the well again. Because, you know, even Ira said, you know, I know they've used it in the movies, but we created this. Earl Grey. Uh, nope, still no clue. It's going to, I'm going to kick myself when I get it. Yeah, tell us, Jim. Kirsten Dunst. Oh, oh Kirsten my Dunst. gosh, of I, course. I hate the universe. <laughs> <laughs> oh Kirsten. my gosh, I knew that. What's wrong with us? The best lockdown performance in all seven seasons, in my opinion. Literary Treks. If this were an episode of Voyager, and I actually think this book would make an interesting episode of Voyager, and like we kind of hinted at, maybe it's very much like an episode mm-hmm. of Voyager that we'll talk about. I don't think it would have been called Seven of Nine, right? No. No, it would have to have like a one-word title to fit in with most of the other Voyager episodes, so you can't really remember <laughs> which one it's about. Yeah, it would just exactly. be called Seven. That's what it would be <laughs> <laughs> To the journey! She did actually mean mm-hmm. what she said in the back in the space just before they die. I don't know, I just kind of like it. It's just I'm going to tell you I love you just before I die. Not a minute sooner. <laughs> it's like, at least I don't have to deal with the ramifications if I'm dead. <laughs> well, that backfired. Or maybe she was just like, at least I don't have to hear him not say it if we're going to die. So what you're saying is next time that we ask someone to marry them or anyone who asks someone to marry them, they should do it on death's door of like some kind yes. of crazy adventure, like jumping off a bungee jump. Yes, you're in the or... middle of being eaten by a shark or something. I love you, gobble, gobble, gobble. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. It's a proper manly name, isn't it? We didn't mention that. Jack Crusher. Mm. It's like a Jason Bourne, isn't it? Oh, Jack yeah. Jack Crusher. It is Secret a great agent. name. Isn't it? It's that Jack, John. Yeah, it's short. Like Jason, James Bond. They're short. J sounds like a stabby. Then Crusher just yeah. sounds like a strong, big manly man, doesn't it? Yeah, with the Jack ending with that strong cuss yeah. sound. And then Crusher starting with another strong cuss uh-huh. sound. Yeah. I like it. Squash, crush your skull. It's almost like Joe Keegan. That's a strong name. Mm -hmm. Uh huh. That's a strong name. See, I followed your lead right into it, Joe. I got you. you. I thank you for that, Amy. Yours is a softer name, isn't it? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, the vowels like, where the consonants like, bring the strength. Mm -hmm. Like Aphrodite, oh. the Greek goddess of love, oh. Amy Nelson. Just, <laughs> they're one and the same, I imagine. <laughs> Anyways, check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favourite corner of the Starlight universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad or Apple TV or the desktop Apple Podcasts app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. It helps others find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm slash contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter and Instagram at trek.fm and on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. Uh, bonus question, Joe? Do you know what? I was just thinking about bonus question. I was like, I don't have one. So, yeah, I'm so thankful that you've thought of a bonus question. Please tell me it. Well, it sort of goes off of Jack Crusher's deleted scene about his ancestors. So, do you have an ancestor that you consider a hero? No, but do you know what? I don't really know much about my... I can go back to my grandparents and I don't know much after that. Before, before that. Um, I know my paternal grandfather um, when he was younger I think I don't know if this story is true or not um, but he moved from a town called Coolsaith which I think is roughly in between Edinburgh and Glasgow in the central belt of Scotland um, and the name was Keegan's at the time with an S at the end he moved to Clydebank the town that I'm from and he dropped the S I know it's not particularly heroic, and I don't know why he did it, but it's it's a snippet of information. It is. I know. Interesting. Okay. But I think you're right. I think I have to, because my parents won't be here forever, and they're the ones that are more likely to know more of the stories. So it's maybe a good time, especially during these times, to try and record as much of that information as possible. Amy, what about you? What, do you have any weird and wacky, wonderful, heroic ancestors? I have a lot of stories, but I don't know that they're weird and wacky. But Your great, 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 great grandmother was Calamity Jane or something. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> No, but we, uh, I was always growing up on my uh, ancestors who crossed the plains, the pioneers, mm. and the struggles that they went through. Um, but one in particular I just really consider a hero is my great-grandmother maternal side. 
Uh, and she was, uh, I mean, okay, so this had to have been 18, late 1800s. And she was a farmer's wife. They were, she came into the Salt Lake Valley and settled and raised a family and was a worker on the farm and actually started um, a printing press uh, in the Salt Lake Valley called Car Printing, one of the first in the valley. And I just, during that time for a woman to be doing something so magnificent as starting a company, like it's pretty yeah, awesome. Yeah, like a woman at that time doing a man's job. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Okay, so, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it is. Joe, where can people yes. contact you when you aren't advancing your career by your association with Ewan? Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah, his career is way far in advance of mine because like, I'm quite happy just being a non-promoted classroom teacher, just staying at the bottom of the rung with no responsibility. So when I'm not doing that, you can find me on the Babel Conference. You can tweet me on the Twitter at joeyjoe77uk or you can email me joepodcasts at gmail.com. And Amy, where can people contact you when you're not attempting to sever a warp nacelle with a phaser rifle? Nice. When I'm not attempting to do that, I will, of course, be boosting the output, of course. Um, you can contact me on Twitter, at Miss Amy Nelson. I'm also on United Federation of Podcast Network, where I am hosting All Good Things, and I am right there in the Babel Conference. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognise our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Michael Huter, Thomas Appel, Chris Trebuzio, Jim McMahon, Justin Ozer, and me, Joe Keegan. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and especially Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Great joy and happiness. Great joy <laughs> and gratitude. Joe! What? Did that... Steal, partially steal your coat. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. That's to be funny. I thought you were going to do something that. that Crusher said. Oh, did he say anything? <sighs> really? Annie Carr. Annie Carr. I'm going to Google Annie Carr. <laughs> Have you? Is there a picture of Annie Carr? Oh, I'm sure. Oh, that'd be amazing if it was like your double. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> How do you spell car? Is it double R? C A R R. Printing press. Car printing is what it's, and it's still around right mm. now. Yeah. I'm going to.
I'm going to Google that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. So, Sorry, Amy. Yeah. It's interesting when you say pioneer. Yeah. Because obviously yeah. you've got a vision of the pioneers from like old movies and I don't know what the covered wagons. Covered wagons. That's the, that's the the image that comes to mind right away. Like Little House that in the Prairie. That is the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, but also um, Appalachian Spring by Erin Copeland. The piece of music, listen to it. Erin Copeland, Appalachian Spring. There, it makes me think about being a bald eagle, I know, um, flying over the, the prairies and through the mountains and now there's glacial lakes and the the mountains. I think that's really idealised idea about the United States from childhood and from pictures. So people, Americans will be listening going, what's that guy talking about? He's just nuts. America is not like that. But yeah, as in my mind. So listen to that piece of music. It's quite magnificent. <laughs> 